My name is Ben Lafort, and I am the host of the Making of a Millionaire podcast, where each episode we are going to be discussing a new personal finance concept, and I'm going to discuss how that concept can help improve your life. So if you're ready to get going, let's start the show. Hey guys, Ben here from Making of a Millionaire. In today's episode, I want to talk to you about how I manage my money as a first-generation wealth builder. So the term first-generation wealth builder refers to someone who does not have any financial inheritance or very little financial inheritance, and they have to build wealth basically starting from scratch, uh, and in some cases, even less than a $0 net worth. So for this podcast, I, I also want to add it for our discussion today uh, that the definition of first-generation wealth builder to include someone who is building wealth to support themselves, their current family, and future generations of their family. So I'm going to discuss my kind of journey along from a negative net worth to the point where I'm now able to support myself and my current family, including extended family, and the, the lifelong goal of, of building enough financial capital to support future generations of my family. So let's start from about halfway through the story. In 2013, I graduated with about 50 grand in student loan debt. I had about $600 in the bank and a mission to begin my journey as a first generation wealth builder. Every major financial decision I've made since that point has had the express purpose of accomplishing two very particular goals. Improve my personal financial situation. That's number one. Number two is to improve my family's financial situation. So that goes not only for my current family, and which includes my wife, my kid, my extended family, you know, we're talking about my parents and brother, etc., and future generations of my family. So my potential grandkids, if my son or other future children may have kids of their own one day. So with that in mind, here are how here's how I manage um, my money as a first generation wealth builder. Let's start with investing. So two of the most important factors to consider when building an investment portfolio are your risk tolerance. So how sensitive are you to a drop in the value of your investments? How likely are you to make a fear based decision if things get risky? And number two, your time horizon. You know when. Are you going to start cashing out on this on this investment money? When are you going to start living off the principle of this money? So those are two key factors that will help you determine, you know, uh, how much of your portfolio you allocate to risky investments like stocks and, and how much to safer investments like bonds. So the higher, all else being equal, the higher your risk tolerance and not only your risk tolerance, but your ability to, to, to absorb risk, meaning like how safe is your paycheck, right? How secure is your job? Because there's kind of two two components to risk tolerance. One is your psychological, um, your psychological component. Where um, can you just because the stress of 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 the stock market too much for you? Um, that's the psychological bit. But there's also the the financial risk tolerance. Like, can, can you actually absorb the risk? So, if the stock market were to crash and your your portfolio were down by fifty percent. Um, What's the likelihood that you might also lose your job, that you might not be able to pay the bills, right? 
Um, so there's that financial ability to absorb risk as well. There's two components of that. So your your ability to take on risk is higher though, all else being equal, the longer your investment time horizon, right? So if you don't need this money for 50 years um, and your investments take a hit tomorrow, it's not a huge issue unless, you know, as long as you have a financial emergency fund to fall back on if you lose your job. So the more you weight your your portfolio towards risk, your assets, if you have a long time horizon. Um, and I know that I have a very high risk tolerance. Um, I, uh, during uh, 2020, I watched my portfolio drop by 34% in a matter of three weeks. And when that happened, I never thought about selling, not for one second during the March 2020 market crash, mm -hmm. did I think about selling anything in the stock market. I had the opposite reaction. I was trying to find ways to get more money into the market. So that means, you know, my psychological perspective, I have a high risk tolerance. I can, I, I'm not going to, you know, fall victim to getting afraid of what's happening in the market and selling. I also have the financial means to take on risk. So I have you know, six plus months worth of expenses in an emergency fund in cash. Um, I have a secure job. My wife has a secure job and I have a, a profitable side hustle. Any one, you know, so that's three sources of income and any of those one sources of income is enough that could cover our basic living needs. So, you know, the odds of us losing all three um, living expenses at the same time is not zero, but it's less likely than if we were dependent on one income stream. And even if we did, we have six months worth of cash to, to cover ourselves. So we have the financial ability to take on risk as well. So being a first generation wealth builder with the goal of leaving an inheritance for my kids and hopefully grandkids means I have a very long investing time horizon as well. So my goal is simply to maximize the next generation's wealth over the next 50 to 100 years, uh, you know, I'm 32, 100 years might be a bit ambitious, but um, who knows what science will look like in 60, 70 years. So let's shoot for the moon. Um, but that means I don't care about really what's happening in the stock market on a daily basis. Again, even use a 50 year time horizon. If I were to die at, at age uh, 83, that, that seems pretty reasonable. A 50 year time horizon is a very long time. So I'm not worried about what happens in the market today if I'm not really thinking about cashing these investments out until at least 50 years down the road. So in the, you know, could give you an idea like just of how volatile the stock market has been, but even through that volatility has produced astounding gains. So in the 21st century to date, the S&P 500, the main stock market index in the United States, is up nearly 110% from the time I record this to you know the year 2000, January 1st, year 2000. During those first 20, 20 or 21 years um, of the century, we have had our extreme share of volatility. In the 2000s, 2001-ish range, we had the dot-com internet bubble crash, uh, followed very quickly after by the September 11th terrorist attacks. We had the financial crisis in 2008-2009. We had the U.S.-China trade war, which started in 2018. And we've had COVID-19, which began um, in, in North America in 2020. All of those have been extreme events that have uh, created extreme volatility in the stock market. But despite all of these events, a dollar invested in the stock market 20 years ago would have more than doubled. So that's the idea that it's important to focus 
you know, if I'm focusing on the very long term, um, I, I'm not too worried about what's happening in the market today. But it's also important not to focus exclusively on the first gener next generation. So there needs to be a balance between, you know, funding my own retirement and leaving an inheritance. So as I put it, you always have to put on your own oxygen mask first, um, meaning if you haven't taken care of your own finances, you're not going to be able to help anybody else out. So my wife and I are in a privileged position that we both have a defined benefit pension plan at work. And this will provide us a predictable stream of income in retirement uh, that is not impacted by the daily volatility in the stock market. Uh, so this makes our investing plan even easier because uh, if we both just work till retirement, we theoretically won't need to touch maybe any of our investment capital while we're alive because our pensions and our dividends from our investment portfolio would be enough to more than cover our living expenses, which means we don't have to touch the principal and we can allow that to keep compounding over 50, 60, 70, 80 years that will pass down to future generations. So investing is not the only way to leave an inheritance. Life insurance can be the missing piece of the puzzle that helps the first generation wealth builder balance their own retirement needs today while ensuring their kids and grandkids are taken care of financially. Generally speaking, there's two types of life insurance, term life insurance and permanent or whole life insurance. So term life insurance covers you for a predetermined period, the, the term. So after that term runs out, you can reapply for a new term or let the policy expire. Um, so for example, I have a 20 year term life insurance that will, meaning if I die within this the next 20 years, um, my family will receive a payout from the insurance company. After the 20 years, I would either let that expire and have no more coverage, or I could renew it for another period after that. And, and as you get older, as you renew into terms and you get older after the end of a 20 year term or a 10 year term, it's going to be more expensive because as you get older, the likelihood that you'll die in any given year increases with age. Um, so permanent life insurance, on the other hand, covers you for your entire life. Um, but I stay away from it because term life insurance is much cheaper, much, much cheaper. Permanent life insurance is very expensive. And for most people, term life insurance does the trick. Um, so here's how I think about life insurance as a first generation wealth builder. How does it fit into that equation? So today I'm young and I'm healthy and I'm making money um, and I'm loaded up on term cheap life insurance. And I'm doing this for two reasons. Uh, the term as life insurance, as I said, is very cheap for young, healthy people. And I don't have as much assets today as I will in the future, as long as I continue to save. Um, so therefore, I need more life insurance coverage now while my financial capital is lower to ensure my, my family is financially taken care of if anything were to happen to me. Um, as I get older and my financial capital and my wealth grows, I, I won't need as much insurance. If I'm able, you know, if I have um, um, a lot more money down the line that I would be able to leave behind um, if I died, I don't need as much insurance to cover me. But right now, uh, I haven't I haven't gotten to that point of financial independence where I'm able to fully live off my financial capital. So I need to load up on insurance. That's how I look at it, at least. So until I have enough wealth to uh, built up to fully fund my life, my family's lifestyle moving forward, I only consider term life insurance. Debt. All right, let's talk about debt. That is another big issue as a first generation wealth builder. 
And it's going to be a reality that you're going to have to, if you're starting from scratch in today's world, you know, debt is unavoidable, but it's not, you shouldn't freak out about that. So a lot of people are going to tell you that debt is bad. Debt is always bad and should be avoided at all costs. This is far too simplistic of a worldview just to say that debt is evil. Debt is bad. Never take on debt for any reason. That's simple. You know, frankly, that's dangerous advice, especially if you're a first generation wealth builder. Taking on debt simply means you had to borrow money to pay for something because you didn't have enough cash up front or you didn't want to use the cash. Whether debt is good or bad depends on what you were financing and the terms of the loan. So if, if there's any debt that's always bad, you can say it's consumer debt right? Credit card debt, stuff you, you know, um, debt you use to buy clothes, to buy, um, you know, uh, a boat or buy uh, stuff, buy TV, consumer debt, you know, credit cards, payday loans, car loans. Uh, if you use debt to buy stuff, you will be shooting yourself in the foot from a wealth building uh, perspective. But if you use debt to fuel investment, which, which I have along the way, the debt has the potential, not the guarantee, but the potential to grow your wealth. Uh, when I talk about using debt to invest, there are lots of different meanings. I use debt to get an education. I graduated with $50,000 in uh, student loan debt once I completed my master's degree in finance and economics. That was a lot of debt, 50 grand is a lot, but uh, doing so uh, allowed me to more than double my income. And that made it certainly worth it to me. I paid off, I was able to pay off that debt easily with the extra income I made from, from increasing my human capital. So I was taking on debt to invest in my human capital, which is the greatest asset you'll ever have. I think we've talked about it on the podcast. If you read my writing, I talk about it all the time. Your human capital is the best investment you're ever going to have. I use debt to buy a house and I got lucky. Um, the value of my house has doubled in five years. I live in an insane housing market where we bought a house for $375,000. Uh, I was able to get, we, we just refinanced our mortgage and uh, we were able to get a value of $750,000 without the, the bank even doing an appraisal, meaning they didn't even have to look at the house and they just said, yep, it's easily worth $750,000. So it doubled, uh, conservatively it doubled in, in five years, which is insane. That is not what you should expect from buying a house, but I did not have the cash to buy, I didn't have three hundred seventy-five grand five years ago to buy the house. I put 5% down. Um, of that value and borrowed 95% to buy that house. And now I have an asset worth $750,000. Again, not something you should expect to uh, play out. It, it almost certainly will not play out like that. But even just buying the asset, being able to buy the house, I only needed 5% down. Um, investing in rental properties, same thing. We have a rental property as well. We did the same thing. We put the minimum amount down. We bought as much as we could with debt because we were young and um, the math worked out on this property. And again, this property has increased significantly in value as well. So I used debt to buy the rental property as well. Starting a business, thankfully, I started a digital business, didn't have any startup costs. So I didn't take on debt to buy a business, but many people do. Um, if you're opening like a brick and mortar store, if you have a lot of like inventory or if you're selling a physical product, you're going to need probably loans and lines of credit and debt to start up a business, which is which is fine. Most businesses do or investing in, in the stock market. And, you know, for most people, stay away from that. Don't use leverage to, to invest in the market. Just use your savings. It's a lot less risky. But some people 
do. And it's, it's you know, better than um, putting debt on a credit card to, to buy clothes, but you probably don't need to take on debt to invest in the market. So as a first generation wealth builder, it was worth it for me to take on debt at every angle, right? To take on debt to get my education, to take on debt to buy a house, to buy a rental property. It was worth it for me because as a second generation wealth builder, my son won't need to worry about student loans because my wife and I are already full. You know, the day we brought him home from the hospital when he was born, we started saving for his college plan. He's going to have a six figure uh, college fund by the time he goes to university. Uh, so taking on debt. Um, to invest, it doesn't guarantee that things will work out. You know, if I work, if I borrowed 50 grand to do my master's and I flunked out of school, that would have been a bad use of debt. Um, but, but debt is simply a financial tool. It increases risk, but if used wisely and conservatively and smart, it can act as leverage to increase wealth. People who come from wealthy families don't need to take on that risk, uh, cause they have family money they can fall back on. Um, as a first-generation wealth builder, you, I don't have that luxury. So debt is kind of like a tightrope that many first-generation wealth builders are forced to walk. They may have no choice but to use debt to fuel investment in themselves, a business, or some other asset. However, um, they have a low, you know, because they have a lower margin for error and no safety net to catch them. If they over leverage themselves, it's important to be smart with debt. Now let's talk about work. Uh, work is a first generation wealth builder. If you are a first generation wealth builder, you're gonna have to work a lot harder and a lot smarter than most people. So I've always had a side hustle or a second job as we used to call it when I was in my early 20s. Even as I progressed in my career and earned more money, I maintain a side hustle of writing um, you know, making a millionaire, this podcast, uh, my writing, the website, this is all part of my side business, my side hustle. Um, this allows me to earn uh, a lot more money than if I relied solely on my day job. And it also allows me to diversify my income. So I have the income stream from my nine to five and I have the income stream from making a millionaire. And so we, you know, here's the thing about the, it's so underrated to diversify your income. We all accept that it's, essential to diversify your investments, right? Anytime you hear anyone talk about investments, one of the first things they'll hear is the importance of diversification, which is true. Uh, your income is also the most valuable asset you'll ever have. So in my opinion, it's important that we diversify this extremely important asset. Our income is our most important investment. So let's diversify it through a side hustle. Um, and I've been able to build my side hustle to generate enough money that it, it can cover my basic living expenses right now. So if I lost my job uh, tomorrow, my nine to five paycheck, I know I'd be able to keep my roof, uh, you know, the roof over our heads and food on the table for an extended period of time because the side hustle income is enough to, to cover those basic living expenses. But right now, since I don't need to, to live off my side hustle income, I take every single penny from profit in the side business and I invest it invest it in stocks and bonds and real estate. And as my side hustle grows, so will my wealth. So here's the last thing, the biggest, you know, my, my biggest financial challenge I have going forward is my wealth begins to accumulate. Here's going to be the, the tricky thing is teaching my son how to manage and value money. Um, you know, they're the, the greatest failure I'd ever have would be if I spend my life 
uh, you know, dedicated to this plan of building wealth and, uh, you know, doing all this for my son, but never teach him the principles that I learned along the way to to manage this wealth, um, because he's not going to have the same type of financial hurdles to to cross as I did when I was younger. So um, it's going to be more difficult for him to appreciate money in the same way. But to be clear, if my son never learns how to manage money, that will not be his failure. It will be my failure. It's my job and my wife's job. It's our job as parents to teach him the value of money and to teach him how to manage it, to grow the family wealth. Because we're not doing this just for him. The goal of generational wealth, in my view, is to keep it going for multiple generations you know, preferably indefinitely so that, um, the, you know, the family never has to worry about how we're going to pay the bills. so that my great, 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 great grandchildren will never have to worry about how they're going to pay the rent or go to school or pursue their passions. So that is really the whole point of all this. So it's up to my wife and I to teach our son and any future children we may have how to appreciate money, even without the financial struggles. I haven't figured that part out yet. But luckily, since my son is one year old, I have plenty of time to think about that problem. So that's going to do it for me today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Um, if you uh, if you were loving the podcast, uh, share it with a friend, subscribe to our newsletter, and go to the podcast homepage. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave us a voicemail. If you ever want to ask a question, go there and leave us a voicemail. We'll play it on the podcast, and I'll answer your questions. So I will talk to you guys again next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered financial or legal advice. Not all information will be accurate. Consult a financial professional before making any major financial decisions.